millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Recycle by Eurosport, a retrospective series on the most compelling, the most controversial and the most extraordinary riders and races in cycling history. Written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. In our previous episode, we retold the tale of Andy Hampston, who, with the help of sheep's wool fat and neoprene diving gloves, conquered the snow-capped Gavia to become the first American to win the Maglia Rossa in 1988. This time out, our beer has a Belgian flavour. We're going back to 1937 when defending Tour de France champion Sylvain Mars withdrew from the race with his entire Belgian team while wearing the yellow jersey and just days away from Paris. And no Belgian Tour de France retrospective is complete without Eddie Merckx and the day he remembers most fondly. In 2019, for the second time in history, the Tour de France began in Brussels, this time to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the first of Merckx's five wins. But relations with Belgium have not always been so cordial on the Tour. In 1937, defending champion and race leader Sylvain Mars pulled out of the Tour in response to the apparent antagonistic actions of French spectators and partisan decisions made by the race jury. When Mars eventually won his second Tour in 1939, however, there followed a 30-year barren patch for Belgium. For a country to have notched 18 victories overall in the Tour de France, it's an amazing statistic. Merckx alone has five Tour wins to his name. Belgium's number of overall victories puts them second only behind the hosts with 36. Belgium, though, have won more green jerseys with 19 than any other nation, 10 more than second place France. And with 471 stage wins, they are second again only to France with 702. The golden era for Belgian cycling, besides Merckx's monumental hegemony, came either side of World War I. Odile de Frey and Philippe Tice twice notched wins in 1912, 1913 and 1914. Their successes were followed by Fermin Lambeau, twice, Tice, again and Leon Sieur. French dandy Henri Pellisser, the peloton's pioneering peacock of white socks, finally ended Belgium's run with victory in 1923. Entering the 1937 tour, Belgium had won the two previous editions through Romain Mars and Sylvain Mars, although the two were not related. After Sylvain's second win in 1939, no Belgian won the tour until 24-year-old Merckx triumphed on his debut some 30 years later. After the Cannibals' five wins, only Lucien van Imper in 1976 has added to that tally. 
Back to 1937 and a few notes on the scandal that was the entire Belgian team withdrawing from the race because of what they called French chauvinism. The Belgian riders accused French spectators of throwing stones at them, of wrongly closing train crossings to thwart them, and even of throwing pepper in their eyes. They also accused the French jury of dishing out unreasonable punishments to Belgian riders while being overly lenient to French offenders, most notably Mars's chief rival, Roger Lepebe. Entering the race, Belgium were going for a third straight win, something which riled the hosts. The great Gino Bartoli was leading the tour, but plummeted down the standings after crashing into a river on stage 8. He retired a couple of days later, with Mars in yellow. Mars, whose nickname was Linabo, or The Dwarf, looked a safe bet to retain his title thanks to his strong form and support, so the organisers started to tinker with the race format, cancelling the team time trial, which would have favoured the strong Belgian team, also featuring French climbing ace Felicien Vervaca and Marcel Black Eagle Kint. Entering the Pyrenees, Lepebe trailed Mars by 2 minutes and 18 seconds, but his weak French team were down to just six riders. On the rest day ahead of the mountains, Mars was allegedly approached by a person offering him 100,000 Belgian francs to let his French rival win the race. Mars refused. After all, he was on his way to winning a second tour, a good reason to raise a glass with his chums. Then, things got a little out of hand. Ahead of stage 15, Lepebe was warming up when his handlebars came off in his hand. On closer inspection, he concluded that they had been partially cut through with a saw. With just minutes to get his bike repaired before the start of the stage, Lepebe frantically attached a new set, but it lacked a bead-on cage. And so, the man who was second in the standing started the stage, which featured the fearsome quartet of the Perisuda, Aspan, Tourmalet and Obisque, with no water. Although there was no evidence, Lepebe was convinced that the Belgians were responsible for the act of sabotage. Demoralised, he was forced to take on food and drink from his brother, Guy, which cost him a time penalty, for it was against the regulations. Lepebe later said, it was done by someone close to the Belgians. They were staying in the same hotel. I put new bars on, but they had no bottle cage. I was penalised every time someone handed a bottle up. I lost five minutes on the tourmalet and panicked. I wanted to stop. A mountain spring came to his rescue, and when Mars flatted further up the road, Lepebe was given a lifeline, but he was still almost seven minutes behind Mars over the summit of the penultimate climb. Somehow, Lepebe eventually caught up with Mars before the finish in Pau pipping the Belgian in the sprint behind the lone leader, Julian Berendero. He always claimed he made up the time on the descent of the tourmalet, but the truth was far more sinister. He had accepted pushes from the French fans and had held on to the cars of French journalists on the Albisque, including that of Félix Levitin, the future director of the tour. Later, Lepebe confessed that he had encouraged his supporters to lend him their collective helping hands. I said, I can't stop the crowds pushing me. I'm asking them not to. In fact, I was quietly asking them to push me harder. The Belgians were furious, and yet Lepebe was only penalised 1 minute and 30 seconds, a mere slap on the wrist which further aggravated the yellow jersey and his teammates. When they argued that Lepebe's penalty left him in a better position than he would have been had he not cheated, the French were indignant and threatened to leave the race if the penalty was increased. The upshot? Lepebe now trailed Mars by 3 minutes and 3 seconds, with the Pyrenees over. Then, in stage 16 to Bordeaux, Mars flatted and his rival attacked. Mars received help from his countryman, Gustave Delors, to chase back, but the latter, despite being a two-time winner of the Vuelta, was riding as an individual and not in the Belgian team. Therefore, this was contrary to the rules. Closing in on the Lepebe group, Mars and Delors came to a level crossing just as the signalman lowered the gate after Lepebe had gone through. Dousing fuel on the fire, the local fans threw pepper in the Belgians' eyes. Mars grappled under the barrier and across the tracks to continue the chase, limiting his losses to just 1 minute and 38 seconds at the finish. But, owing to time penalties, his lead was slashed to just 25 seconds. 
Threatened by the French fans and victimised by the jury, Mars, who felt the railwayman had intentionally lowered the barrier, decided to boycott the race with his fellow Belgians ahead of Stage 17 in Bordeaux. He clearly believed he was better off quitting while ahead than letting himself be cheated out of the win by the officials and partisan fans. It was the first time the yellow jersey had quit the tour in such circumstances. So, what happened next? The row continued well after the race that Lepebi would go on to win as the first rider using a derailleur. In Belgium, supporters protested against the tour organisation. Within 24 hours, 20,000 protest letters had been sent to a sports magazine that had taken up the cause. After another 10 days, more than 100,000 Belgian francs had been sent to the National Cycling Organisation to support the team. Crowds lined the streets of Brussels as Mars and his teammates came home, while the Belgian Federation ensured that they were paid the same bonuses they would have received had they won the tour. For his part, while many felt that Le Pebi's victory stank, the Frenchman always insisted he would have won anyway. The remaining stages were flat and filled with time bonuses which would have played into my hands. I was convinced that I had already won the tour when we were in Bordeaux. I was frustrated by the withdrawal of the Belgians because it deprived me of a victory that would have been more complete and more convincing. I clearly possessed the means to beat Sylvain Mars fair and square. Henri de Grange, the father of the tour, did not share Le Pebi's stance, however, and did not ask the French rider back to defend his crown in 1938. Le Pebi is one of only five defending champions never to have raced another tour, the others being René Potier, Fausto Coppi, Bradley Wiggins, and that man Mars. Although Mars came only 14th when he returned to the race one year later, when Bartoli stayed upright and took the spoils, the Belgian eventually won his second tour in 1939, before the outbreak of World War II ended his career. He later became the manager of the Belgian national team and opened a bar near Bruges called The Tourmalet. As for Le Pebi, after following the 1938 race as a reporter, his career ended in 1939 when he broke a kneecap in Bordeaux-Paris. He would, however, remain in the sport as a driver for French television. The spectre of the Belgian walkout would return in 1950, when Bartoli's Italian team did the same thing after he felt threatened by spectators, who caused him to crash with 1947 champion Jean Robich during the ascent of the Col d'Aspin. Bartoli claimed fans subsequently punched and kicked him, with one even threatening him with a knife. Although leading the race at the time, Fiorenzo Magni accepted Bartoli's decision and abandoned the tour. The race organisers' suggestion that the Italians should wear neutral grey jerseys so that the spectators would not recognise them fell on deaf ears. As a result, Stage 15, originally scheduled to end in San Remo, was rescheduled to end the other side of the border in Menton. Later in the same race, the Belgian team felt that it had been deprived bonus seconds by the race jury's decision to give second place in Stage 15 to Frenchman Louison Bobet over Stan Ockers. Mars was the manager and protested, threatening to pull the Belgian team if the decision was not overturned. The jury held firm, and Mars backed down. Following Mars' win in 1939, a long fallow period of 30 years followed for the Belgians, until Eddie Merckx burst onto the scene in 1969. Why did it take so long for Belgium to find another tour champion? Belgian cycling journalist Hugo Korovitz has his theories. There are several reasons, he says. First, we did not have that one huge talent. Second, the fans were more excited by one-day races. Perhaps the Cobble Classics are in the DNA of Belgian cycling fans, and we started to specialise in this area. The French have nearly the same problem now, even though the tour is more important and more sentimental for them. During those lean Belgian years, Brussels hosted its first Grand Depart in 1958, the year of the World Exhibition. Eleven years later, the tour passed through Brussels too, and a legend was born. 
After an opening prologue in Roubaix, in which Merckx finished second behind Rudy Altag, and Stage 1A that took the riders across the border into Belgium, Stage 1B of the 1969 Tour was a 15.6km team time trial in the Brussels suburb of Woulouet saint pierre The route passed the front door of Merckx's parents' grocery store, so it was fitting that the Belgians' FEMA squad won the stage. And, by virtue of a 20-second time bonus for the winners, Merckx donned the yellow jersey in his hometown. It was the first of a record 96 yellow jerseys the cannibal would amass during his career, and, even though he conceded the race lead for four days afterwards, he took the Maillot Jean back after stage five and wore it all the way to Paris. Merckx's first yellow jersey marked one of the best days of the illustrious Belgian's career, according to Korovets, who has covered 25 tours for newspaper Het Newsblatt. It's the day that Eddie remembers most, he says. He is still emotional when talking about that date and also when he entered the Velodrome of Vincennes at the end of the 1969 tour, which he said was the nicest day of his career. Fifty years on, Merckx was present in Brussels to set the riders off at the start of the first stage of the race that also celebrated the 100th anniversary of the yellow jersey. Korovitz says that the Grand Depart rightly attracted huge crowds in Brussels. It's all because of Eddie Merckx, he says, who is, after King Philippe of Belgium, the most popular and well-known person in the country. It's a nice tribute to 50 years ago, and the 100-year anniversary of the yellow jersey gave it extra historical significance. But, with no Belgian having won the tour for more than 40 years, what does the future hold for the cycling-mad nation? For 15 years, the Federation have been investing in riders who can climb, says Korovitz, citing Bjorg Lambrecht, Remco Evanepoel and Dylan Turns as part of a generation who can go well uphill. I think we must judge Remco within five or six years, he says. Then he will still be young, but we will know whether or not he has the skills to win the Tour de France one day. We also have a new generation of powerful riders, with Wout van Aert and perhaps again a top sprinter, like Tim Merlier or Jasper Philipsen. There is much to come. Whichever Belgian rider next wears yellow at the Tour, there's not a chance they'd quit while they're ahead, no matter how they're tested by the race jury. This has been another episode of Recycle by Eurosport, written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. You can read more from Felix on Twitter, at Saddleblaze, and you can hear more from me, at Graham Wilgos. Plus, you can follow Eurosport at Eurosport underscore UK, or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Join us for our next episode when we'll be looking back to 1959, the year a Yorkshireman named Brian Robinson won Britain's first stage of the Tour de France. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, share and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.